today on Ag News Daily. Really, even the best beans that we're looking at are really short. I just got out a few minutes ago and, and took a look, and yeah, there's a fair amount of pods on these beans, but this is not a, a huge bean crop by any means. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here flying solo on today's Market Monday. Well, actually, me and Mike are tag-teaming it today. We're both out and about traveling. I think Mike is heading to Minneapolis. I am out and about shooting some video footage with the Iowa Pork Producers Association. So we are piecing things together today. Hope everybody had a great weekend. But let's look at some news for today. I want to kick it off here. Not really news, just an update. I think we are starting to see cooler temperatures across the country, across the nation here seems like things are starting to slow down. We've seen some cooler temperatures. Gary Rasmussen has sent me in some some temperatures from up in his area of Uper area up there in Michigan. Been continuing to watch some of that weather. But Hurricane Dorian will absolutely have some impact as we continue to see that transpire, that weather come up here towards the Midwest and higher. But those folks that have been affected by natural disasters over the past two years, including Hurricane Dorian, can start to sign up for that $3 billion disaster relief package that was passed earlier this year in Congress. This is for, this is part of that $3 billion, um, which is for hurricanes, wildfires, typhoons, earthquakes, all of those major disasters, those natural disasters that happened between the years of 2018 and 2019. This also includes farmers who stored grain that was damaged from the bomb cyclone, along with some of those prevented from planting a crop in its aftermath. And blueberry, peach growers with crop damage from cold snap in 2017. So that sign-up starts on Wednesday, as I mentioned there. And if you have questions about whether you're eligible or not, your FSA offices can help you. That's where you sign up as well. Payments to eligible farmers will be capped, of course, at $500,000 over the period of two years, as long as 75% of your income is derived from agriculture. And you have to live in a county that has a disaster declaration, either by the president or the agriculture secretary, I believe, your state's governor also counts, but of course USDA recognized those if your state was, if your county was declared a disaster by the state. And the USDA is also taking a number of states, excuse me, talking to a number of states about issuing block grants for agricultural losses that are not covered by WIP. So we will continue to watch that and see how that goes, but eligible farmers will be paid between 70 and 95% of their crops expected value, depending on whether they had insurance or not. So I think one question there is, what's the expected value of the crop? Is it going to be 2017 before the tariffs and trade wars went into place? Is it 2018, what they lost from that market? I assume it's going to be, I don't know what, I guess I shouldn't make assumptions, but... Like I said, more details can be found through your FSA office, but those payments, those sign-up periods do start Wednesday. And of course, while you're there, you might as well just sign up for your MFP payment as well, because checks are starting to be cut for that. And I know quite a few folks, I've talked to my family, my boyfriend's family, I know some folks are getting out there, getting those payments finally started to sign up.
curious to see if it's the same process as last time or not. Send in your thoughts, your comments about the MFP sign-up that you have done, if you've done it, what your thoughts were. And I'm just curious to see what people think about this year's rates as compared to last year's. So send in your thoughts to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at AgNewsDaily. We also, this week, are seeing Congress return from their August recess, and they've got quite a few things that are on the docket that they need to tackle here coming up shortly. A big one here is another government shutdown. Starting October 1st, if they don't pass some sort of other stopgap spending bill, they will see another government shutdown on October 1st, just like we saw last year towards the end of the year there. The two-year budget agreement has passed before the recess and is headed to the Senate to start moving through appropriations. Um, And another thing that Congress will be working on is, of course, USMCA. They're seeing a lot of pressure from, continued pressure really, from farm groups all across the U.S. And National Pork Producers Council will be having their annual fly-in this week in Washington, D.C., And they said they will be heading over to Capitol Hill to lobby for USMCA to keep pressure on Congress to get that sorted out. They also, National Pork Producers, are also saying that they're going to be working to try and get a big increase of inspectors at ports and airports to keep livestock pathogens, mainly African swine fever, out of the country. The National Farmers Union is also having some of their top officials head to Washington, D.C. this week to meet with USDA officials as well as members of Congress. So it sounds like lots of pressure all around in Congress to really get some things moving and shaking. Big to-do list. We'll see if they can get through all of it. But they also said they are going to be talking about the potential for a Japanese trade deal. President Trump said he is aiming to sign a limited trade agreement with Tokyo at the UN General Assembly meeting later this month, but officials are apparently still hammering out final details, and we haven't seen Japan's legislator legislature sign off yet, which would finalize the agreement, so that is another thing we are still waiting on there. Another thing that I don't know if Congress will really touch this quite yet, but a lot of pressure on the Trump administration to fix the ethanol and small refinery exemption waivers. We've seen, of course, a lot of folks come out in opposition after they found out President Trump had indeed issued some of those or approved some of those small refinery waivers. But it sounds like Terry Branstead, the U.S. ambassador to China and, of course, former governor to former Iowa governor made it clear during a closed-door meeting that Trump's political standing in the Hawkeye state is extremely at risk because of this new, not really new, but this addressed biofuels policy, this, I guess, conclusion that President Trump was indeed the one making some of those sacrifices or giving the oil industry some of those waivers. So we're still waiting to see what's really going to come out with that. It's expected that President Trump or the administration is going to make some sort of conciliatory gesture, but yet to see what that actually will be. 
So another thing we'll be keeping an eye on this week for sure. We also are not only preparing for finalizing trade talks with Japan, but the U.S. and Brazil are starting to prepare for their initial trade talks. Sounds like there's a long ways to go before any formal sort of free trade agreement is signed, but both countries say they are preparing to take significant steps forward in the process. So Brazil's foreign minister is scheduled to arrive in the U.S. next week to kick off what they're calling strategic partnership dialogue, which is apparently aimed at isolating some areas of differences and things that need the most attention between the two countries. But apparently, 11 Democratic senators are urging President Trump and the Trump administration to put a halt to any trade negotiations to punish Brazil until President Bolsonaro takes some decisive action to protect the rainforest, the Amazon rainforest, which is currently being burnt by, you know, destructive wildfires. I'm sure people have seen some of the Twitter and Facebook things that people are posting out there or have been posting over the last couple of weeks. Some of those acres may get turned into farm ground, but it sounds like there is a group saying to President Trump and to Robert Lighthizer that they are demanding the U.S. put a stop to the USDA allowing Brazil to resume exporting beef to the U.S. until some of those environmental issues are addressed. So, interesting little dynamic there. I'm sure there's other stuff behind closed doors that we don't really get to know about. Maybe some compromises the Democrats are looking for in other facets, but they said they're not going to approve any sort of a trade deal and they're strongly urging the Trump administration to get on board and to get all that stuff sorted out. We talked about this just a little bit, I believe, on Friday, but I wanted to bring it up again because I think it's also going to have an impact on what the Trump administration decides to do, and that is in regards to the RFS as it relates to the endangered species. On Friday, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the EPA did not comply with the Endangered Species Act when it was published in 2018. And a couple of, I would say, more left-wing environmental groups sued the EPA for not following those guidelines they set in 2018. And in a report last year of the environmental effects of biofuel production mandated by the RFS, the EPA's Office of Research and Development found that the most significant downstream water quality impact related to biofuels is low oxygen and harmful algae blooms, which apparently can be found in both coastal and non-coastal waters, affecting some of those habitats there. It sounds like water stream is really the biggest uh, impact that the RFS has on endangered species and the Endangered Species Act, but there are a lot of folks putting pressure on the EPA to get this figured out, and I don't know, I guess they could maybe theoretically sue the EPA again for all of that stuff, but another action item, I suppose you could say, is the EPA will likely have to start examining the effects of endangered species on future renewable fuel blending targets. So it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with that one, or if President Trump will 
maybe mandate that some of those gallons lost because of the small refinery waivers be used in future um, blending requirements. I don't know how that all how that stuff all factors together, but another piece of the puzzle that is going on right now out in Washington D.C. But back here in the heartland, we had some commodity market news today. I am going to turn it over to my co-host Mike Pearson to get an update on today's market news. All right, well, let's take a look at where the market's closed for today. As we look at the grains, we've got mixed trade. We've got corn down, beans flat, and wheat screaming higher. As we take a look in corn, September corn was down one and three quarter cents at 340 and three quarters. The December contract down one and a quarter, closed the day at 354 and a quarter. Beans, as I mentioned, flat on the day. September unchanged at 845 even. November also unchanged, finished the day at 857 and three quarters. Chicago wheat, the September contract up 14 and a quarter today, finished at 474 and a half. December contract up 10 and three quarters to close the day at 474 and a half. Jumping over to look at the livestock markets, we could not catch a bid today in live cattle. The October contract was down 67 and a half cents at 9420. December down 5750 to finish the day at 9917 and a half. In feeder cattle, similar story. The September well, let's jump to the October. The October was down a dollar oh seven fifty at one twenty nine eighty two and a half. The November down a dollar fifty seven fifty, closed the day at one twenty eight eighty. And in lean hogs, after Friday's limit down day, we had expanded limits today. The October contract dropped ninety cents at sixty two sixty. The December, however, down two dollars fifty two and a half cents to finish at fifty nine ninety five. And taking a quick look at the dairy market in class three milk that September was up eleven cents on the day at eighteen oh seven. And October actually zero trades on the day, so unchanged for the day. With that, let's jump into our hashtag Market Monday segment with our good friend Ted Cipher. For today's Market Monday conversation, I'm joined with Ted Seifer, the Chief Market Strategist at Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Mike, as you know, it's always my pleasure. Well, now let's talk. We've got a busy week in the markets today. We've got uh, WASDI coming out on Thursday. Ted Seifert, a lot of the bulls in these grain markets are counting on WASDI to really kind of turn things around, help us find a bottom, especially in the corn market, because that bottom sure seems to be elusive. What are your thoughts here as we look at WASDI going ahead? Well, you know, when we were looking at the August report, I was looking at the estimates and saying, wow, the trade is way too bullish on this report. And even if it is a slightly bullish report, it's not going to be as bullish as expectations. And this could be a big problem for the August report. And we were limit down. I have similar feelings. I bring that up because I have similar feelings about the September report. However, I think this is a report that the USDA actually will start to scale back some of their production numbers, especially on corn and also for soybeans. And I think this could get a better reaction than what we saw in August. Now, will it put a low in or not? It's really going to depend on what the USDA's numbers have to say. Um, I honestly wouldn't be surprised that if even if it was a bearish report, we would turn around within another day or two and come back and start to you know carve out that harvest low and start to move higher. Because at some point, we should be worried about frost. We should be worried about weather. Unfortunately, at the moment, though, when you look at the 10-day, 14-day forecasts, we got a lot of heat in there. So, you know, some of this corn that we're really, really worried about um, is going to have a chance to continue to develop further and maybe get closer to a finish line. But the soybeans, you know, we've been talking about it time and time again. Um, we're, we're worried about the soybean crop. 
And, you know, from my travels in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, I continue to worry about the soybean crop. Well, let's talk about your travels, Ted. You're on the road again today. You're out in southern Minnesota. You passed a lot of bean fields along the way. And what are you seeing? I mean, this is kind of a garden spot, especially for the corn market. But on the soybean side, how are things shaping up? Yeah, I mean, from the road, the corn looks really good. I'm very curious to see what happens when we start getting into the fields here. But, uh soybeans um wow you know we were making the comment just a few minutes ago there's a lot of sds that we're seeing here uh and really even the best beans that we're looking at are really short i just got out a few minutes ago and and took a look and yeah there's a fair amount of pods on these beans but mm, wow um this is not a a huge bean crop by any means and i have a really hard time from everything that I've seen, I have a really hard time with the USDA's 48.5 national average yield for soybeans. I think that has to come down at least to a 46.5, but I'm worried that it's got to come down to maybe like a 44. And if that's the case, we could very well be looking at a soybean balance sheet that's only 380 to 480 million bushel carryover. And if that's the case, it'll be the tightest we've seen in, in a few years. And it's less than half of what we were talking about in the July uh, July WASDE report. And I would say that these soybean prices that we have right now are too low, even without a trade deal. But then if you start throwing the idea of a trade deal in there, we could run out of soybeans in a hurry. So, yeah, I think soybeans are the ones that are going to be very price sensitive here going forward. I think that corn crop, for the most part, is out there. Yes, we've had our issues. Obviously, we had issues with planting, but we're kind of getting a little bit of a reprieve with this September heat that we've got in the forecast, um, and we're going to try to push some of this corn further to maturity. I still do contend that we're going to see a drop in the harvested acreage number or yield number, one of the two. Production, I do believe, is still going to come down from the, where the USDA was in August, but it's not going to be a dramatic fall off, at least not one of the magnitude that we were expecting back when we were, were you know, second week in June and not sure if we're going to get, you know, 10, 12 million acres of corn planted or not. Um, you know, what I'm seeing out there for the corn is it's better than what I was expecting. It's not a fantastic corn crop, but there is a corn crop out there. And we've certainly shaved some demand off of corn when it comes to our exports and ethanol. Um, so I think our corn balance sheet, it's going to be healthy. It, it could be tighter than what the USDA is expecting right now. And I do think there we should see a price recovery. But it's the soybeans that I think are going to be the real story here into the fall. Well, before we jump into soybeans and really discuss exactly what you're anticipating on Thursday, let's talk about the corn market. Ted, the news has been rife with stories about ethanol plants shutting down for long periods of time and ethanol plants closing. I mean, for all intents and purposes, closing permanently. How much demand have we lost on the ethanol side of the ledger here in the last 60 days? Yes. Unfortunately, I don't think we have an answer for that. Uh, I don't think we will have an answer for that until about a year from now. Um, Because, yes, we are going to see the more efficient plants pick up some of that slack. And, you know, a lot of the ethanol plants that are closing are being closed by companies that have other plants that they know they can offset some of that production elsewhere. So really, I mean, how big of a chunk? It seems bigger than what the actual number might be. When you look at the number of plants that have closed down, it feels like it's just collapsing. Uh, it might not be that bad. Uh, and ethanol profit margins, when you go back to when where we were in June, were terrible. But they have gotten better with the lower price corn that we've seen. And crude oil prices are hanging up somewhat all right. So, you know... 
I think that we have gotten more bearish on ethanol than what we really should be for this coming marketing year. But it is a it is a problem, Mike. It is a problem that needs to be fixed, and hopefully that does get fixed. It has come more into the public eye, uh, you know, talking about giving waivers and then revoking waivers, and we're still waiting for Trump to give an, an announcement on what's going to happen with that. But at least it's something that more people, aside from the farming community, are, are seeing now. It's become a political issue. And so hopefully that'll mean that there's a resol resolution happening sooner than later. Uh, and hopefully it, it's a very positive thing for the ethanol industry going forward. But again, I, I don't see ethanol going away. Uh, obviously, the SREs that uh, the EPA has been giving a big problem for the RIN market and therefore a huge problem for the ethanol market or ethanol demand as a whole. Uh, so that needs to get fixed. But um, I'm optimistic that something does happen with ethanol here over the next few months. Let's jump back and talk about soybeans. You mentioned uh, we might see USDA come down to 44 and a half. We're not going to see that on Thursday's number, are we? I wouldn't think so. No, our official number for Thursday is uh, 46 and a half, which is a two bushel decline. I mean, that's a that's a sizable decline. And but even with that, I mean, we're we're talking, you know, a 500 million bushel carryover, less than half of what we were talking about in July. And, and to me, that just suggests that sub nine dollar soybean prices might be too cheap. Um, I would think that at some point we might actually have to put in a a premium of maybe we do get a, a trade deal, you know, because if we do, we might run out of soybeans. And wow, that would be ironic, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, no, I, I, I think, again, I, I, I do really believe the more and more I'm looking at this soybean crop and actually getting out and getting into fields, oh, the soybean crop is well off of what we have seen in years past. The, the corn is off too, but We've already been very pessimistic about the soybean demand side of the balance sheet. We've already made very deep cuts. Corn still, we still had to do that in corn. That was part of what happened in July and August. But for the soybeans, I don't see a whole lot of fat to trim on that, on that demand side of the balance sheet. So when production's coming down, which I truly believe that production should come down, that means that your ending stocks number is going to start shrinking pretty dramatically. So, again, I think there's a story there in the soybeans. I think we're just starting to figure that out now. And, you know, over the course of the next few months or so, I think we'll really see that come to fruition in the markets. Are beans a buying opportunity down here? Would you be buying Nove or would you look out to the deferred months if you were just purely looking to re-own some earlier sales or make a spec play? Yeah, I mean, I think Nov's too soon. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, obviously, when you're buying something without a, lot of, without a lot of time value, they're cheaper, right? But minimally, what we're looking at is January. For some stuff, we're going a little further out in time there. But I think you want to give it a little bit more time. You know, just go back to the delayed planting rally that we had. Uh, it took three or four weeks for that to really get warmed up. You know, we all saw that coming. We knew it was going to happen. We were scratching our heads, wondering why it hadn't happened yet. Well, again, it's it's a good way to give yourself some time here. Uh, I think November futures are serviceable if you're prepared to roll them at some point. But if you're using options, I think Jan or beyond is where you want to be. Now, Ted, let's talk a little bit about the livestock markets. We've seen live cattle under tremendous pressure ever since that fire at the Tyson plant in Holcomb, Kansas. Just can't seem to rebound, even though the kills seem to be solid week after week after week. When are we going to catch a break? Yeah, you know, that's a really that's a really good question. Uh, you know, the live cattle market had a job to do, and that was to push backers' margins really sharply higher so that we would offset that production, and we've done that. So, you know, it, it just seems like, 
the live cattle market is in the hands of the Packers right now because they got that news story to really facilitate their narrative. Uh, but over time, you know, that demand is still out there. Domestic demand, I, I believe, is going to stay strong. I would think that in the next week or so, we should start to see a bit of a rebound on the cash side of things. And that will allow the futures market to stabilize and hopefully go higher at some point. At some point, man, that, that would be music to a lot of cattle feeders' ears. But before we let you go, final question, hogs, man, limit down on Friday. We saw the hurricane completely miss North Carolina, or at least for the most part, miss the hog producing areas of North Carolina. We were down almost $3 again today. Ted, when is this hog market going to catch a break? The hog market is just a market of disappointment. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. And, and you're seeing the same thing in corn right now. These, these are two markets that are very uh, tied into each other as far as the mentality is concerned. We had such high, lofty expectations of, you know, ASF in China. They're going to be buying, you know, 77,000 metric tons of our, our pork a month. Uh, I'm sorry, a week. And we're going to have this huge business with China. And we really ramped up production to deal with that. In the meantime, that hasn't really happened. We've seen cutout values drop significantly, um, and we just we have a lot of upfront supply. China, I do believe, at some point is going to be a more aggressive buyer from someone, whether it's from us or someone else. They're going to be a more aggressive buyer, and that'll offset demand and it'll come back to us. It's just a matter of time when that happens. And I, I, I want to say, I mean, you know, we're, we're now trading well below levels that we were at before the whole ASF thing started. And I think that we've overreacted to the downside. At some point, I do think we find some footing and start to bounce back. But we've got to shake off this disappointment. It'd be great to see some China sales come into the market. It would. China sales would certainly add some life. Ted, now... We're here in southern Minnesota. We are doing a crop plot tour today. We're talking to some farmers across uh, southern Minnesota. This is something you do quite a bit. You're a professional at it. If listeners want to get in touch with you, if they want to book you for some kind of an event or talk strategy, talk markets, talk about hedging and, and mitigating their market risk, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113, or you can find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. You can also find me on Twitter at, at the Ted Spread. At the Ted Spread, folks. Check him out with that. It's Ted Cypher. Ted, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Pleasure's always mine, Mike. Huge thanks to Ted there for giving us a quick update on the markets for today. And if, listeners, if you want to get any other updates on either past episodes, you can always find us at our website at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily or chat with us on the web on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at agnewsdaily and at globalagnetwork. And with that, we're going to let you go.